Hello and welcome to this installment of AZ Law. I'm your volunteer reader and I'm a Phoenix attorney, Paul Wyke, and we explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. AZ Law came about to provide Arizona legal news for Sun Sounds of Arizona, the nonprofit reading service for people with disabilities, which makes it difficult for them to read or hold printed material. It's broadcast the third Saturday of each month at 11 a.m., and other installments are available on demand on the Sun Sounds website. Our ArizonaLaw.org website is independent of Sun Sounds, but its prime focus is to support Sun Sounds of Arizona. A which is, I should say, a service of the Rio Salado Community College along with KJZZ and KBAQ radio stations. Our website has links to those stations and information on how you can become a member of them. And we urge you to do so now at Arizona Law, arizonaslaw.org. Easy Law is now available for download at that website as well. And it's also on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Google Play Music and Podcasts on some of your devices, it might say that. Uh, some it might not. Spotify, it's on Spotify, and it's on Podbean, as well as probably other places. I know I saw it on Podcast Addict uh, as well, and you can search for AZ Law is probably the best thing place to search for it. So we have several articles to report on this week. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Our first article is from the Arizona Capital Times, Montgomery to lose political clout stepping up to high court, reported by Ben Giles. Bill Montgomery's power and influence as an Arizona Supreme Court justice will depend on whether he abides by more traditional standards of the high court by taking less of an activist role at the Capitol. Stepping back from his influential position as top cop in Maricopa County, one of the largest in the United States, would be a dramatic turn for Montgomery. As county attorney, Montgomery has a well-earned reputation as an influential power broker at the legislature, where he has opposed sweeping criminal justice reforms, and on the campaign trail, where he's been an outspoken opponent on matters like medical and recreational marijuana. Traditionally, Arizona's top judges take to the sidelines when it comes to debates over policy at the Capitol and certainly do not engage in the sort of direct lobbying that Montgomery is accustomed to, according to Alessandra Soler, executive director of the ACLU of Arizona. I assume that there was this separation of powers and they should not play a role in lobbying, Soler said. From what I know, it's been sort of an informal role where the justices have generally stayed out of lobbying themselves. That's just how it's been handled. The Arizona Code of Judicial Conduct broadly states that a judge shall not appear voluntarily at a public hearing before or otherwise consult with an executive or a legislative body or official, with some exceptions, such as when the conversation is in connection with the legal system or if the judge is lending their particular expertise. Generally, the code is intended to assure a judge, or in this case justice, does not act in a way that will interfere with his or her duties or disqualify them from cases. Governor Doug Ducey, who made Montgomery his fifth and arguably most controversial appointment to the Supreme Court earlier this week, made clear in announcing the decision what kind of justice he hopes Montgomery will be. 
Ducey tweeted that he was looking for a candidate with an understanding of the law, well-developed judicial philosophy, appreciation for the separation of powers, and a dedication to public service. More broadly, I was looking for an individual who wants to interpret the law, not someone who wants to write the law. Bill Montgomery is that candidate, Ducey wrote. Just an aside, I thought that uh, that kind of was a little dig at the other fine candidates who were forwarded to him. That may be a jarring transition for Montgomery, whose vetting process was peppered with criticism that he lacked judicial experience and had a long track record of controversial political positions as the county attorney. That includes his staunch opposition to marijuana legalization, which in 2015 led to an exchange in which Montgomery called an Arizona veteran an enemy of the U.S. Constitution after the veteran admitted to using marijuana recreationally. Montgomery's repeated leading role in blocking criminal justice reform efforts at the Arizona legislature, highlighting the influence he wielded over the chairs of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees, and his refusal to offer legally required free legal assistance to lawful same-sex couples who sought to adopt children. It is that record that has critics like Solaire concerned about how Montgomery will behave as a justice from the bench and beyond. Justices need to be fair and impartial, and I think that during the last nine years, he's really shown that he lets his personal biases drive his prosecutorial practices and policies. So I think that is certainly going to be a big question for us. Is he going to be fair and impartial? He is going to be somebody who's expected to uphold the rule of law, she said. Republican attorney Corey Langhofer said it will be telling to see how Montgomery navigates issues like criminal justice reform. Judges are only human, after all, and it is naive to assume they can set aside all their beliefs when ruling from the high court. I strongly suspect that his views on criminal justice are deeply held and will come through in his jurisprudence, but I think his judicial philosophy on other political matters about which he has expressed very strong opinions may be less predictable, Langhofer said. He continues, you can simultaneously think the government should pass a certain statute or adopt a certain policy without thinking the Constitution compels that result. For now, Langhofer said Arizonans have Montgomery's word that he understands the difference between judicial and political philosophy. Langhofer says, I think we need to hear him out on this. He said he appreciates the distinction and will be different as a jurist than he will was as a politician, and that may well be true. Danny Sodden, a former aide to Ducey who once served as a special assistant county attorney to Montgomery, pointed to the governor's words as evidence that Ducey is confident in the judge Montgomery can become compared to the county attorney that he has been for years. That will mean Montgomery has to accept the fact that he's taking what Sidon called a less powerful position as a justice compared to an elected county attorney. Prosecutors have a ton of power in the process, Sidon says. That's why they're elected. That's why they have to face the people and stand for their charging decisions and policymaking role in the process. But when you're a judge, you really just interpret statutes. You don't make policy, Sidon said. Even among the 15 elected county attorneys in Arizona, Montgomery was the first among equals, according to Langhofer. Serving as a judge, even on the highest court in Arizona, by far it's a less powerful position, Sidon said. Now, there's still a lot of prestige and power that goes with being a Supreme Court justice, but in terms of what you can do to most impact life, I think prosecutors on a day-by-day basis have a lot of power to do that, Sidon said. 
Langhofer said he sees Montgomery maintaining some influence, perhaps for a session or two, but justices almost inevitably recede into the monastic lifestyle of the Supreme Court. Both Sodden and Soler said Montgomery may fit the mold of another Ducey appointee to the Supreme Court, Clint Bollock. A libertarian and former vice president of litigation at the Goldwater Institute, Bollock was always an outspoken advocate for his political beliefs and at times has proven he can still be outspoken from the bench. Bollock raised eyebrows in August after he was spotted with his wife, Republican Representative Shauna Bollock, at a conference hosted by the American Legislative Exchange Council, a group known for pushing conservative bills at state legislatures. Bollock previously made headlines after texts revealed that the justice had advised Ducey to appoint Montgomery to a vacant U.S. Senate seat. Yet Bollock, in his brief time on the high court, has shown that he can set aside his political beliefs and rule strictly on the law. Bollock joined a unanimous decision upholding the rights of voters to bring wide-ranging initiatives to the ballot box in the face of a legal challenge against Arizona's voter-approved minimum wage, a policy his former employer, the Goldwater Institute, opposed. Clint's probably more opinionated than Bill. He's written books on topics like school choice. So it is the same question for Bill as it is for Clint, said Sodden. He's going to approach things on a case-by-case basis, and I am going to trust him to do the right thing, as I would every judge that's been appointed. End of Sodden's quote. Montgomery might be further motivated to step back from his role as a policy power broker in order to avoid conflicts of interest, which could lead to Montgomery recusing himself from important cases accepted by the Supreme Court, Langhofer added. In the near future, Montgomery will inevitably have to step aside for certain cases, such as rulings on the death penalty that involve cases handled by the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, Langhofer added. Sidon said he'll take Montgomery at his word that the outgoing county attorney understands the new role he'll play as a judge. I can only speak to what I've heard Bill say in the past, and I think Bill's a firm believer in the separation of powers, Sidon said. I believe he would say that the judiciary is not a legislative body, so that would be my guess. I can't predict the future, but I think that's probably closer to true. While Montgomery may have less influence lobbying the legislature on policy, Solaire said there's still the political reality that he is now serving as the backstop in Arizona's criminal justice system. This is the highest court in the state of Arizona, and they're going to have a huge impact on public policies that impact millions of Arizonans, Solaire said. And that article is in the Capital Times from Ben Giles Montgomery to lose political clout stepping up to the high court. Our next article is Judge Postpones Juan Martinez's Disciplinary Hearing Over Ethics Violations, reported by Meg O'Connor in the Phoenix New Times. Juan Martinez's disciplinary hearing has been postponed after a judge dismissed some of the ethics charges against him late last Friday afternoon. Famous for his role prosecuting high-profile murder cases, including the Jody Arias case, Martinez was supposed to begin a disciplinary hearing over a slew of alleged ethics violations on August 27th, but that hearing has been put off for 30 to 60 days. Martinez's attorney argued that ethics rules for Arizona attorneys do not regulate how an attorney must act in his own office. Arizona Supreme Court disciplinary judge William O'Neill apparently agreed with that argument. 
He ruled that allegations that Martinez sexually harassed female co-workers at the Maricopa County Attorney's Office will not be considered at the upcoming disciplinary hearing. Meaning, what Martinez is accused of doing to the women in his office, including telling an intern he wanted to climb her like a statute, statue or statute, it says statute, but I'm guessing statue, and sexually harassing female co-workers so relentlessly they hid in bathrooms to get away from him, will no longer be something those women will testify about before the disciplinary judge. But allegations that Martinez shared confidential information about a juror, struck up a sexual relationship with a blogger who was writing about the RAS case and then lied about it to investigators, and sexually harassed a court reporter, will still be heard at the hearing. O'Neill is expected to hold a status conference to figure out how the case will proceed, Channel 12 News reported. If the judge determines Martinez has committed the alleged ethics violations, he could be sanctioned or disbarred. The court reporter, who said Martinez told her he wanted to see what was inside her skirt, is still expected to testify, as is Jen Wood, the blogger Martinez is accused of having an affair with and leaking information to. Martinez has been the subject of at least seven bar complaints in the past four years. This past March, the State Bar of Arizona filed a misconduct complaint against Martinez, alleging that he had committed seriously unethical behavior during the Arias trial and inside the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. This disciplinary hearing stems from that complaint. According to the complaint, Martinez began a sexual relationship with a blogger who was writing about the Arias case and then used her to dig up information on a juror who was preventing Arias from receiving the death penalty. Martinez wanted to find information that might disqualify her from continuing the deliberation. Once he figured out who the holdout juror was, he allegedly tried to get her dismissed from the case so that he could get Arias sentenced to death, but failed. Martinez is also accused of striking up a relationship with a juror who was dismissed from the case and using her to get a quote-unquote read on how two other jurors may be leaning in the case. When questioned about his actions at a deposition, Martinez lied, the bar complaint states. In April, four lawmakers and 18 local, state, and national organizations signed on to a letter sent to Maricopa County Attorney Bill Montgomery, who we were just talking about in the previous article, demanding that he resign for the way he has handled Martinez's repeated misconduct. ABC 15 has since reported that Martinez's history of sexually harassing female co-workers goes back decades. Martinez's personnel file contains a reprimand from a supervisor in the early 1990s. The supervisor wrote, It has come to my attention that there was an incident in February where you made inappropriate sexual remarks toward a female attorney in this office. It is now time that this behavior ceases once and for all. Montgomery has responded to calls of resignation by stating that after the investigation, Martinez was disciplined with a written reprimand and mandatory training for sexually harassing his female co-workers. But documents related to the investigations of Martinez's misconduct were sealed at Montgomery's request. Montgomery, and this article was before the appointment to the Supreme Court, it notes that he was a, fin he was a finalist at that time for a seat on the state Supreme Court. And in 2016, the Attorney Discipline Probable Cause Committee recommended that Martinez be placed on one-year probation for his unethical behavior. But Martinez asked for a disciplinary hearing in which deliberations reportedly lasted all of one minute before those charges were dismissed. 
That article from Meg O'Connor in the Phoenix New Times, judge postpones Juan Martinez's disciplinary hearing over ethics violations. Our next article is in the Arizona Daily Star, and it was published on September 5th. Environmentalists sue over decision not to add Sonoran tortoise to endangered list. It's reported by Henry Breen. Conservation groups filed a federal lawsuit in Tucson on Thursday seeking endangered species protection for the Sonoran Desert tortoise. Wild Earth Guardians and Western Watersheds Project, represented by the Western Environmental Law Center, are challenging a 2015 decision by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service not to list the species, whose range spans most of Arizona, including Tucson. In their lawsuit, the groups accused the service of ignoring the best available science when assessing threats to the tortoise. The law doesn't allow the agency to assume the species is doing fine based on an absence of data, said Matthew Bishop, the attorney with the Western Environmental Law Center, in a written statement. Western Watersheds Project and Wild Earth Guardians previously petitioned for the tortoise to be listed. In 2010, the Fish and Wildlife Service determined that the reptile situation was bad enough to warrant federal protection, but it deferred action because other species deserved higher priority. Five years later, 2015, the agency reversed its position, concluding that the risks to the tortoise were not serious enough or imminent enough to list it as threatened or endangered. That decision drew praise from the Arizona Game and Fish Department and spared home builders and ranchers from additional regulations for tortoise protection. Environmental groups cite development and livestock grazing as the two main threats to the species. Cindy Toole, Arizona and New Mexico Director for Western Watersheds Project, said other threats include climate change, invasive species, fire, and habitat fragmentation by roads and other infrastructure, including what she called border militarization. The tortoise is definitely one of those species that can't fly or climb over the wall, Toole says. The Sonoran tortoise lives in desert scrub habitats throughout southern, western, and northwestern Arizona and northern Sonora. It is a separate species from the Mojave Desert tortoise, which lives in California and Nevada and has been listed as threatened since 1990. For five years, the Fish and Wildlife Service recognized the grave danger of extinction facing the Sonoran Desert tortoise. We are simply asking this federal agency to do its job, protect species on the brink of extinction from the ever-increasing threats, Toole said. This species is becoming more and more endangered every day. When asked why the lawsuit was being filed now, she said the statute of limitations was due to run out. And that article is headlined, Environmentalists Sue Over Decision Not to Add the Sonoran Tortoise to the Endangered List, reported by Henry Breen in the Arizona Daily Star. Another article in the Arizona Daily Star, published on September 4th by reporter Tony Davis, Rosemont Copper Company Asks Judge to Junk or Amend the Ruling that Stopped the Mine. And if you listen to our previous episodes, you'll understand, you'll remember that this was a, this has been the subject of previous articles that we have reported here on the program. Here's the article. The company proposing to build the Rosemont Mine wants a federal judge to toss out or at least change key parts of his recent ruling that stopped work on the $1.9 billion project. 
Rosemont Copper Company in what it says is its first step towards appealing the July 31st ruling is asking U.S. District Judge James Soto in Tucson to vacate the ruling that prevented mine construction or to alter or amend it. The company says Soto ruled that Rosemont Copper lacked valid mining claims on more than 2,400 acres of public land where it wants to dump waste rock and tailings. Because Soto's decision focused so heavily on mining claims as regulated by the 1872 mining law, the company wants the decision vacated on what it says are jurisdictional issues. It says opponents lack standing to sue on the issues that led to his decision. If that's not going to happen, the company wants the decision changed significantly. The company also wants the judge to reverse part of his decision that threw out the Forest Service's environmental review of the project, now nearly six years old. Stu Gillespie, a lawyer for Indian tribes opposing the mine, said that many of the company's arguments are hollow, particularly those focusing on the mining claims, and that the company is misinterpreting the judge's ruling by saying that he found those claims to be invalid. The company also is misconstruing the standing issue, making arguments that are wholly misplaced, Gillespie said. Soto found that the Forest Service had accepted the validity of the mining claims without question, rather than making an effort to determine their validity. Without proof of valid mining claims, that land cannot be used for any mining activities under that 1872 mining law, he ruled. This was a crucial error as it tainted the Forest Service's evaluation of the Rosemont mine from the start, Soto's ruling said. His ruling stopped work on the mine the day before it was supposed to start. Construction of the mine in the Santa Rita Mountains southeast of Tucson is now delayed for up to 18 to 24 months until the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals can rule on an expected appeal by Rosemont Copper and the U.S. Forest Service, which approved the project in June of 2017. Rosemont Copper wrote that it was improper for the judge to assess the validity of its mining claims on his own. Instead, the court should have allowed the Forest Service to evaluate whether there is a factual basis to support Rosemont's rights, the company's motion said. The company is the Arizona subsidiary of Toronto-based Hud Bay Minerals Incorporated, which holds the mining claims and owns the private land that will hold the majority of the mine's half-mile-deep open pit. The latest motion describes areas where the company believes the court inappropriately assumed the responsibility of the regulators and in due course misrepresented current mining law and regulations. The company wants the court to simply return the final Rosemont decision to the Forest Service for further investigation or explanation while leaving the environmental impact statement in place for now. Rosemont continues to reserve the right to appeal all issues raised in the court's decision, the company said. It is our belief that the court went beyond its authority and jurisdiction by conducting its own validity assessment of Rosemont's unpatented mining claims, said Andre Lausanne, HUD Bay's Arizona Business Unit's vice president, in the statement. He, said, he continued, last week's filing is our first step in the appeals process and correcting what we believe is a misinterpretation by the court of the current laws and regulations that govern mining activities on public lands throughout Arizona and the United States. The company's request cited several passages in Soto's ruling that Rosemont Copper says shows that he was ruling on the claim's validity. For one, the judge wrote that the Forest Service had no factual basis to determine the Rosemont had valid claims, and that rather the record strongly indicated the opposite. 
In another sentence cited by Rosemont Copper, the judge wrote that the record indicates that Rosemont's unpatented claims on that land are invalid as there is no valuable mineral deposit beneath the land. The court's decision to analyze the validity of Rosemont's unpatented mining claims rather than allowing the Forest Service to make that assessment violates established principles of administrative law and constitutes manifest error, the company wrote. If the court could find that it was error for the Forest Service to allow Rosemont to use the surface of its unpatented mining claims without assessing their validity, the court's analysis should end there. Rosemont Copper's argument is an attempt to manufacture an error when there is none, countered Gillespie, the attorney for three Indian tribes, including the Tohono O'odham, that filed one of two lawsuits that led directly to the judge's decision. The court did exactly what it should do to determine if there was a basis for the Forest Service decision. There was no basis, Gillespie said. The judge's statements cited by Rosemont Copper demonstrate that the Forest Service's decision was arbitrary and capricious and don't find conclusively that the mining claims themselves are invalid, Gillespie added. The company also argued that the judge's focus on the validity of Rosemont's mining claims under the 1872 mining law creates serious problems for its jurisdiction and for the groups suing the Forest Service to show that they have a legal basis for challenging the project. Since the mining claims issues that the judge raised are tied to the 1872 law, the various environmental, aesthetic, cultural, and recreational interests held by the parties suing the Forest Service are marginally related to that law's purpose and insufficient to give them standing to sue, the company said. Those arguments are irrelevant and misconstrue Soto's order, tribal attorney Gillespie countered. In their lawsuit, the tribes alleged that the Forest Service violated two other federal laws, the Organic Act and the National Environmental Policy Act, by assuming the mining company had a right to use mining claims on forest land for waste rock disposal. There is no dispute that tribes' interests in protecting sacred sites and irreplaceable environmental resources are covered by those two laws, easily satisfying requirements for standing in court, Gillespie said. Indeed, Rosemont Copper never challenged the tribe's standing before the ruling and can't challenge it now in what amounts to the company's request that the ruling be reconsidered, he said. Merits briefing and the little typo there. The company also asked Soto to reverse part of his decision that tossed out the Forest Service's final environmental impact statement for the mine, a decision that would require the sta statement to be rewritten if the mine were ever to be built. The FEIS, the impact statement, is a six-volume environmental analysis containing over 10 years and over 1,000 pages of thorough review, Rosemont Copper wrote. Even if the court's conclusion that the Forest Service failed to analyze a reasonable range of alternatives was correct, the environmental analysis with respect to the alternatives the Forest Service did consider is thorough and remains relevant. The court did not rule on challenges to other aspects of the FEIS, and there is no reason to vacate the FEIS in its entirety, Rosemont wrote. And that motion is pending. That's the end of the article. Rosemont Copper Company asks judge to junk or amend the ruling that stopped the mine, reported by Tony Davis in the Arizona Daily Star. And our next article is from the Arizona Mirror. Members of extremist patriot group have to delete posts and stay away from churches, court docs say. And this is reported by Jared McDonald Avoy. 
Four members of the right-wing extremist group AZ Patriots will have to remove some videos and posts from their social media accounts and will be restricted from engaging in certain activities around the churches that they were sued by, according to court documents. Several Hispanic churches decided to sue them and another group, Patriot Movement AZ, for disrupting their work of welcoming migrant families. The settlement must still be approved by the judge overseeing the case. The civil lawsuit filed in June in U.S. District Court is still ongoing. Besides the four that have agreed to settle, there are at least seven other people that are defendants. The lawsuit stems from AZ Patriots and Patriot Movement AZ members confronting church volunteers as they welcome migrant mothers, fathers, and children. In videos posted on social media since December, the right-wing demonstrators, sometimes posing as volunteers or members of the news media, yell at church volunteers, accuse them of human trafficking, and call the migrant families an invading force. Part of the settlement agreement reached between AZ Patriot members Jennifer Harrison, Jeremy Bronaw, Michael Pavlock, and Eduardo Jaime includes that they cannot say in any public forum, including but not limited to social media or media interviews, that any plaintiff is engaged in any form of human trafficking or sex trafficking or harboring fugitives. That particular part of the settlement agreement also stipulates that the four will have 30 days once the settlement is finalized to remove such previously published statements. Additionally, the settlement states they agree to not trespass or block any ingress or egress from any of the buildings owned by the churches, including their parking lots, driveways, walkways, or other areas used by the churches. The settlement also prohibits them from entering any of the churches. The settlement further prohibits the four from using a loudspeaker or any similar device outside of any of the churches. The four will also no longer be able to film outside the churches unless they are more than 50 feet away from the boundaries of the properties. They also cannot encourage others to film. The four will jointly have to pay the churches a total of $750. And that is the brief article from Arizona Mirror. Members of extremist patriot group have to delete posts and stay away from churches, court docs say, or a proposed settlement says. And let's finish up with this article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. Arizona AG wants DACA dissolved. And this was published on September 3rd. Attorney General Mark Burnovich is siding with President Trump in his efforts to dissolve the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. In a new multi-state legal brief, Burnovich and the Republican attorneys general from 11 other states contend that President Obama never had the legal authority to create the program in 2012. It allows those who arrived in this country illegally as children to remain without fear of deportation. And not all of them, actually just some of them. Obama is gone and President Trump issued his own executive order shortly after being sworn in in 2017 to phase out the program. That move has been blocked by lower courts. Now the Supreme Court has agreed to hear arguments next month. Brnovich told Capital Media Services he believes that Obama's unilateral action was illegal, but he also said it is not necessary for the justices to reach the same conclusion in deciding whether the current president can abolish the program. It's a matter of simple logic, Brnovich said. If President Obama can create a substantive program by himself using the executive power, then why can't President Trump rescind that using executive action? 
At issue are the fates of about 670,000 people who are currently in the program, including approximately 25,000 in Arizona. If DACA ceases to exist, they would be subject to deportation. But Brnovich said he believes if the Supreme Court sides with Trump, it will be in the longer-term interest of DACA recipients. He pointed out that even Obama called the program a temporary solution designed to provide some legal protections to those who effectively have known no other home than in the United States, while Congress was coming up with a more permanent plan for immigration reform. That, however, has not happened, and Brnovich said he believes it will not at least not as long as DACA is in existence. It is taking the pressure off Congress to do something, he said. DACA recipients are being used as political footballs by both parties, Brnovich added. There is no incentive for politicians in Washington, D.C. to solve this problem because they would rather have it around as a political issue. And Brnovich said it is not just about pressuring Democrats to support the things the president wants, like more funding for a border wall, to get permanent protections for DACA recipients. This is not the first time that Brnovich claimed that DACA is not legal and that the Obama administration had no right to create it in the first place, absent congressional authorization. He advanced similar arguments last year to the U.S. Supreme Court as Arizona sought to defend its practice of denying driver's licenses to those in the program. The justices rejected the arguments without comment, and the state now issues licenses to DACA recipients. And that article was Arizona AG wants DACA dissolved, and that case is in front of the Supreme Court. It was reported by Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services on September 3rd. And with that, we reach the end of this installment of AZ Law. Remember to listen or download our program wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, too. That will help. And since our primary purpose is to support the important services provided by Sun Sounds of Arizona, don't forget to go to their website and donate. You can reach their website from our website, arizonaslaw.org. Remember, that's Arizona's with an S at the end. No apostrophe, though. And you can find the links to donate to sunsounds.org, or you can just go directly to sunsounds.org. We have a lot of plans to grow and change this program in the coming months, improve it hopefully. But hey, your comments and suggestions to help us do that are always welcome, especially since this is a new program. You can email me at paul.wyke.azlaw at gmail.com, and wyke is spelled W-E-I-C-H. So until next time, I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, thanking you for listening to AZ Law.